Let's stand for the reading of God's word. You can find it in your bulletin, or if you brought your own Bible, turn to the book of Isaiah. I'll read chapter nine, verses two, six, and seven, and then I'm going to read a really remarkable story from the Gospel of Mark. Isaiah 9, 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And now from Mark chapter five, verses one to 20. They, that's Jesus and the disciples, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me? Jesus, son of the most high God, I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying, that's Jesus, he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank and into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid." And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has, has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. First thing I want to say is that the story I just read 
really happened. It's God's word. It's not a parable. It's not an illustration. It's an event that took place in the history of earth, in the life of Jesus, and in the life of this man who experienced incredible darkness. But he also experienced the mighty power of God. Before we dig into the story, I wanna go back to Isaiah because Isaiah is where it begins for us this morning to see how Jesus was the one prophesied about. Here's what I want you to see. I wanna talk about a frame that begins with a person's reality or a people's reality. Then I wanna look at how revelation interrupts that reality. And then that revelation brings in a new reality and finally a future reality. So go back to Isaiah with me for a moment. What was their reality? What was the people of God's reality? Isaiah the prophet in verse two tells us, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has the light shone. The people that Isaiah is speaking about is the people of God. And these people have been walking in a deep season of darkness. Darkness is the reality of all of mankind since the fall of Adam and Eve. You and I, this side of heaven, experienced darkness. Some days and some weeks and some months and some seasons and some years feel darker than others. But we were born into this darkness. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This darkness exists outside us. We see it in the world all around. From wars, to terrorism, to conflict, to injustice, to all sorts of wrong done from one man to another. But we also see the darkness inside us. Envy, coveting, slander, fear of man, lust, lack of contentment, materialism, greed, selfishness, all in us. And this darkness is our reality, this side of heaven. So like the people that this prophet was speaking to, you and I understand the reality of that darkness. There's not a person in here today that didn't enter with some level of darkness. They didn't enter with some form of brokenness, some form of evil that is wreaking havoc on your soul. It could be darkness of, of a doubt, could be a spiritual attack, could be a financial reality, could be a secret that you're keeping. It could be that one of your children has simply wandered away. Whether they're a young man or a young woman or an adult child, you've seen the drift and your heart is heavy for them. It could be a health issue that you are experiencing or a loved one. It might be related to COVID, but it might not. Before COVID, people still got sick. People died. People got cancer. And that continues to happen now. The darkness of this world was their reality. And the darkness of this world is our reality. But something happens. The prophet Isaiah brings revelation. This word of God from the beginning to end is revelation. 
Isaiah the prophet hears from the Lord. And what he does is he reminds the people of a promise that God has made. You see, revelation from God from beginning to end is revelation. And it begins with a promise all the way back in Genesis that God is going to rescue his people, that he is leading his people, that he's with his people, that he will never forsake his people. That promise is simply a declaration. It's an affirmation. It's an assurance of something God is going to do or some things he's not going to do. You and I can make promises all the time. And when we make a promise, we're saying, I promise I will do this, or I promise I won't do this. That's what a promise is. Then there's prophecy. Prophecy is the prediction, so to speak, of when it's going to happen or how it's going to happen. And so Isaiah chapter nine is full of this promise and this prophecy, but there's something else present, and that's power. You see, I can make a promise that I don't have the power to fulfill. I can't say things as a promise that I don't have the power to keep. I can predict things, but I don't have the power to make sure they come true. Sometimes I have the power, like if I promise to take one of my children for ice cream. I have the power to do that. But my schedule might change, or I might get tired, and suddenly I don't have the will to do it anymore. In order for a promise to be made and a promise to be kept, in order for a prophecy to be made and a prophecy to be fulfilled, the power must exist for that promise to be fulfilled and the will. Our God has both. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? God has the power to fulfill any promise he has ever made, but he also has the desire and the will. So what Isaiah is saying is that this is your reality. You've lived in darkness. This is the revelation. It's God's promise to you. Here's the prophecy. This promise will be fulfilled in a child who's coming. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That's God's power. But what's amazing, and this is what's so unique about Christianity, is it's pointing to a person. And the revelation is pointing to Jesus. And what's amazing is this revelation fulfilled in Jesus is that it's not just a fulfilled promise. In words alone, it's fulfilled in a person who is the living, mighty God. So keep that framework in mind now. What is the reality? How did revelation break in? What was the promise? What was the prophecy? Is there power? And how is the person fulfilling all that? And now let's go to the demoniac. I would imagine most of you have never heard an Advent sermon in the text of Mark about the demoniac whose name was Legion. Charles Spurgeon actually preached this text in December, December 21, 1856. The title, Going Home, a Christmas Sermon. Jesus 
is called mighty God. One of the four phrases given to us in Isaiah, wonderful counselor, Paul preached last week, mighty God today, everlasting father, I'll preach next week, followed by Prince of Peace, Paul will preach. Right up to Christmas Eve. Jesus Christ is mighty God. And he's coming in contact with a man whose reality is very dark. He is possessed by demons. And his reality has led him to a place where he is in deep isolation. He has terrorized people in the city he came from. They have tried to subdue him, but they couldn't. They put him in shackles and chains. And the power that is so at work in him that is evil and dark is so great that in his own strength, filled with that evil, he's been able to break apart the chains and the shackles. The darkness is so great in him that he's now homeless. He's living amongst the tombs where he's running around. At night, if you got close enough, you could hear him screaming and shrieking. And then Mark, the gospel, tells us that part of his reality is he's taking stones and he's cutting himself. I've read this story many, many times. But until recently, I never read it with compassion for this man. I never read it from the lenses of, I wonder when there was the first sign of this darkness consuming him. What was it like for his parents, his friends, those who lived around him? What was it like for the villagers where he came from to walk towards those tombs, perhaps on their own need for vocation, and to see him unclothed, running, screaming, shrieking? He's in a very, very dark place and no one has been able to help him. No one can. But he is about to meet the child that was prophesied in Isaiah 9, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. To understand what's about to happen, the story before it is also important. The story before it is Jesus is on the boat that's actually carrying him to this shoreline where he's going to meet this man who's deeply troubled. And on that boat, he's with his disciples. And while he is fast asleep in the bottom of the boat because he's a man, he's a person, he has to sleep, he's tired, a storm comes, a squall. And this storm and squall comes up on the Sea of Galilee and suddenly heavy winds and waves are now pouring over the boat. The disciples are so afraid and they're used to being on boats that they're going to drown, that they're doing everything they can in their own power to survive. But Jesus is asleep. He is sound asleep. The storm is not bothering him. Finally, one of the disciples speaks to him and says, Messiah, don't you care that we are going to drown? Jesus gets up and he rebukes the wind and the sea. And instantly, the sea grows calm. The winds die down. Now, what was the response of the disciples? Mark tells us 
they were terrified. They saw a man that they were expecting just to bail water with them, stand up and exercise divine power, godly power over the wind and the sea. And Mark tells us that they were in great fear, filled with great fear. This is the story right before the one we read. And they asked this question, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Remember that question. We're going to come back to it in a minute. From that journey, Jesus now arrives on the shore. And apparently where they went ashore, there are some tombs not near or not far away. Tombs are where they place bodies that had died. This is where that man, the demoniac, lives. Interestingly, the man full of these demons comes running towards Jesus. As he runs towards Jesus, he begins to speak to him. Look with me at the text. When Jesus had stepped, verse two, when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Night and day among the tombs, verse five, and on the mountains, he always was crying out and cutting himself with stones. Again, have compassion for this man. This man is deeply afflicted. Verse six, and when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? The demons always recognized Jesus for who he was. They were the first ones to call him the son of God. They speak again, I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For Jesus was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Then Jesus asked him, picture the conversation, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. So this man's reality was that he was deeply troubled by these evil forces that led him to incredible darkness and despair. But he has now come face to face with the mighty one who was promised. Jesus cast the demons out. The demons actually end up in 2,000 pigs. These pigs, then filled with the demons, move into the very sea that Jesus had just calmed. This is not make-believe. This is not a parable. This really happened. Picture the scene. 2,000 pigs drowned. You've probably never seen 2,000 pigs or heard 2,000 pigs. But what would it have been like to be there as one of the herdsmen watching what took place? The eye is not to meditate upon what happened to the pigs. As mind-blowing as that is, what's more mind-blowing is that the man who broke away from chains and shackles, the man who ran to Jesus, who could not be subdued by anyone else, is now delivered, whole, 
and clothed. And he's in his right mind. Only Jesus, the mighty God, could give to this man what this man needed. And the power that had possessed that man was no match for the power of God. The power that had possessed that man was no match for the power of the living God. The same God who hours before told the wind and the seas to be calm. The same God spoke to these demons and sent them away, and the man was made whole. It's a remarkable story. But what happens? The herdsmen, it tells us in verse 14, fled, and they told it in the city and in the country. And could you imagine hearing it? Could you imagine hearing that the man who has been crazed and possessed, who screeches at night and screams and is naked in the tombs, that he's now clean and in his right mind and he's clothed. And by the way, just behind him, if you see him, there's 2,000 pigs floating in the sea. Could you imagine hearing that? They were convincing enough for the people came out to see. Verse 15, 14, and people came to see what had happened. And they came to see Jesus, verse 15, and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Just like the disciples on the boat, who is this man who can calm the wind and the sea? Who is this man that could set free this, this other man who's had the demons so littering his life? Who is this man? Verse 16, and those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and the pigs. Verse 17, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. That's what happens. When people encountered the power and might of the living God, some said to him, go away. Go away. I don't want any part of you. But some say, I want to go with you. The demon-possessed man, it tells us in verse 18, yeah, verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demon, demons begged him, that's Jesus, that he might be with him. Verse 19, and he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. The man that had been set free and delivered, the man who was able in the power of the evil demons to break the shackles and the chains, did not have the power to break the grip that they had on him, but Jesus was. And when Jesus set him free, what else could he say? But I want to go with you. 
But the crowds and seeing evidence of what had happened and seeing this crazed man now in his right mind, seeing this naked man now clothed, they said to Jesus, go away from us. Leave, we beg you. The same God that removed this darkness from this man is the very same God that saves his people. He is the same God that set you free from the shackles of Satan's tyranny, from your enslavement to him who is the father of lies. All of us lived in that darkness, Paul tells us in Ephesians 2. And all who are in Christ have been set free as the illumination of the Holy Spirit and the irresistible grace causes us to see what we need and we pray for salvation in Jesus' name alone and we receive it. And we marvel at that because we didn't deserve it. But there are others who hear the same truth and they simply say to Christ, go away. Some say, I wanna go with you some say, get away from me. If you are a Christian and you have prayed that Jesus would save you, you need to know that it's because of the mighty God, the mighty power of God, this immeasurable power that you have been saved. And friend, if that doesn't cause you to marvel, then you have either diminished how deep and dark the darkness was in you and how dead you were spiritually or you've diminished what it took in order for God to rescue you from hell. Don't forget. Don't forget what he has done. It took the same power to rescue you as it did to rescue this man. It was the power of the mighty God dying on the cross. Jesus Here's the man beg him to follow him. Again, it says in verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, he's leaving as the crowds requested. The man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. I want to go with you. Yet he did not permit him to go. Instead, he said, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Friend, if you're a Christian, go home and tell your friends. Put a sign in your yard that speaks of this might and marvelous power. Speak of your own rescue and what God has done to make you his own. Pray for family members and neighbors and coworkers and friends and your children's teachers and coaches and the people who sack your groceries and our politicians and our leaders, old classmates that you have even forgotten about, go home. Tell them the good news of what this mighty God has done for you because around you, all around you and all around me, People are living in darkness. People don't really know what Emmanuel means. That God with us 
The living God is in us. The living God is coming for us. That's our reality, born out of a revelation that was promised and prophesied about with the power to accomplish it that's manifest in a person. And this person is the only one who can save them. And this person has promised to come again. And when he does, every knee is gonna bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But he's not gonna come until the last of his children have been saved. And he's the one who orchestrated it this way. That he delights in using us to go home. To tell of all that God has done for us. If we're unwilling, I have no words. God has done everything necessary to make us his own. If you were a person today saying, I wanna go with him, hear him saying, then go home. Tell your friends what marvelous things I've done for you. Now, interestingly, the man who was possessed, who was naked, who had been cutting himself with rocks, who said, I wanna go with you, heard Jesus say, go home to your friends and tell them. And what did he do? He did it. Some would say this was the first missionary recorded in the gospels. He's obedient to what Jesus told him to do because of the miraculous work in his life. And what happened? And I'm convinced that this will happen to us too. He began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Friends, when the mighty God is at work, God with us, there will be people living around you, working around you, playing in the parks with you and your families, sitting in coffee shops, cutting your hair. Some of them, I believe, are God's people. And they will marvel when the Spirit of God moves and uses you to tell them what marvelous things he's done for you. Father in heaven, out of one phrase, mighty God, we have so much to thank you for, so much to believe in, so much to hope in, so much to trust in. And Lord, it's so amazing to me that your ordinary plan of bringing people to saving faith is to use others who have come to saving faith, people like us. And Lord, I pray that you would cause us to marvel even today by what we have heard from your word. And as we stand and sing this very well-known and beloved hymn, that it would not be just words on a soul that is dry and parched, but it would be like cool waters of your grace soaking deep into us, causing us to think again about the mighty God, the promised one, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And Lord, if there are those who are here or who are with us online who today 
believe that they need to be saved by you, I pray, Lord, that you would do that. Friend, simply ask Jesus to save you. Confess to him that you are a sinner right now in need of a savior and that he is the only one. Repent, as the word tells us to, and come to Jesus. Simply pray to him. Ask him to forgive you. Rest in him alone for your salvation. If that prayer is something you pray today, then know that he hears that prayer and answers that prayer. Tell someone, Brent or myself, or someone you know who is a Christian of what has happened in your life, that you may begin to grow as a follower of this mighty God. And Lord, for all of us who already have professed faith in you, would you restore to us the joy of your salvation? And would you inspire in us great courage to go even this day to make known the name of the God who is with us, our Lord and Savior Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.